The scripture reading now is uh, from Philippians again. It's chapter 2, verse 19, through to chapter 3, verse 11. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how, as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. And I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law a Pharisee, as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's writing, of course, to the congregation at Philippi, and we could have read, uh, if we'd we'd have had time perhaps, we could have read the the founding of that congregation. Uh, It's there in Acts chapter 16. 
and uh, we would have read of Lydia, the, the prominent businesswoman, uh, the prominent member of the church there, of the slave girl who was delivered from the evil spirit, of the jailer, and they're all now 10 to 12 years older. The church by this time has got elders and deacons. It was by now established, and the church had sent a gift of money to Paul, and Paul was in prison in Rome at the time, uh, when, and he was in prison when he was writing this letter back to the Philippians. And they'd sent this gift of money by the hand of this man Epaphroditus that we read about. And Epaphroditus will probably take this letter that we've just read from. He'll probably take it back to Philippi when he goes home to them. And we read, we read earlier on in the teaching in Philippians 2 about Christ. How he humbled himself and became obedient as a servant to death. Not just to death, but to the worst form of death anybody could ever think about. Death on a cross. Not just because it was so painful, but because it was so shameful. And because under the Israelite law, cursed was anybody who was crucified on the cross. And he was raised from the dead and given a name above every name. So Philippians 2 tells us much about Christ. But in writing it, Paul also had the purpose of showing Christ to them so that they could obey him and follow him as his disciples. He says, Philippians 2.5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, think like Jesus thought and do like he did. And there's some application in uh, Philippians 2.12-18, where Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who's at work in you, both to work and to will for his good pleasure. So work it out. Think about what you have to do. Work it out, he's saying. But then Paul goes on, to, uh, when we picked up our reading in uh, 2.19, Paul goes on to write about uh, these two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he's not just informing the Philippian church about uh, the, the travel plans or asking them to make arrangements for them. What's happening here is that Paul is mentioning these two men, these two Christian leaders, as living examples of the teaching he's just given. They are the embodiment of the teaching and the application he's writing about. And a bit later on in Philippians that, that we, we would have read if we'd read further. Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who work according to the example you have in us. Who walk according to the example you have in us. Keep your eyes on them. Keep your eyes on Timothy. Keep your eyes on Epaphroditus. And Paul would add, keep your eyes on me too. Uh, these three men, Timothy, Epaphroditus, and himself. Think of the apprentice in a work situation. The boss explains to him something he's got to do, uh, gives him all the theory behind it, and explains what he's doing. But before letting the apprentice have a go, 
if the boss is wise, he'll say, well, well have a look at old so-and-so. He's been doing it all his life. Just, just see what he does and copy him. That's what Paul's doing. This is the teaching in Philippians 2 about Christ. Do like Christ and get into his way of thinking. But, he says, I can show you this in action. Look at Timothy. Look at Epaphroditus. And he adds himself too. Let's pause for a minute with a couple of things here. The scriptures is not holding up these men as being perfect. No man is righteous himself before God and no Christian is perfect. And these three would have been the first to admit it. And indeed, Paul calls himself the greatest of sinners. I'm the greatest of sinners, he says. Not I used to be the greatest of sinners. I am the greatest of sinners. Wretched man that I am, he says. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And by that he means, who will deliver me from my old sinful self that I just can't seem to get rid of? He speaks of how the Holy Spirit wages war with our fallen human nature as Christians. And if the fallen human nature wasn't there, if it wasn't active, there'd be no need to wage war against it. And this is a, an encouragement to us too. Do you find yourself having to wage war against your fallen human nature? Then rejoice. Because God, too, is at work in you. It's one, one thing to think about. The scripture is not holding these men up as being perfect. Uh, the other thing to think about is uh, another general conclusion that we can draw. Is that Christian leaders are to be a, an example to Christians. They are to model the Christian life. In one way or another... Christian leaders are to embody the teachings of Christ. Uh, Peter says in his letter uh, about the elders of the church, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Peter says of the elders of the church, uh, they are under shepherds of the great shepherd of the sheep and should faithfully represent him. They should embody the teachings, that they should model what it's like to be a Christian. Again, bearing in mind that they are not perfect, and they'd be the first to admit that they weren't perfect. Uh, there's nothing like being in Christian leadership that throws up your own sinfulness and throws up your own, your own recognition that you're not perfect. And the great shepherd of the sheep knows that we are far from perfect, and lays no burden that we cannot bear. Nevertheless, those in Christian leadership are to model and to live out the teachings of Christ. And Paul could write to these, uh, these Philippians because he knew these three, leader, these three leaders well. Uh, 
Paul and Timothy had been there amongst them as evangelists. Epaphroditus was one of their own. They'd sent him off. They knew him well. They'd sent him off and were expecting him back. Uh, but you might be thinking, well, I don't know what these three men were like, really. Uh, how can they be a model to me if I, I don't really know what they're like? And that's how, that's why Paul picks out certain characteristics of these three and mentions them specifically. They are the ways in which they are imitating Christ. And so we too can see these very concrete things as examples of having the mind of Christ Jesus and imitate them in these ways. So Paul has picked out in his description of these, uh, these three men, including himself, uh, one or two characteristics that they were noted for that we can see as well, that we can follow as well. Uh, here they are. Let's have a closer look at them. Timothy, a man of genuine concern. Epaphroditus, a man of costly service. And Paul himself, a man devoted wholeheartedly to God. But Timothy, uh, of genuine concern. His mother Eunice, his grandmother Lois, were Christians of Jewish background. Uh, Timothy had presumably become a Christian through them, and they would have heard the gospel from Paul in his missionary journey through there in what, what is now uh, modern-day eastern Turkey. Timothy's father was a Greek and a pagan. Uh, his mother, all of his mother's side, were Jewish. He came from two worlds, the Jewish world the pagan Greek world. Now, it may be that he was at home in both of these worlds. Uh, rather more likely, he was accepted with, only with difficulty by both of these worlds. But he was chosen by Paul to accompany him on his missionary journeys, and he became his trusted fellow worker. And eventually, he was someone who Paul could send as a representative, sometimes as a troubleshooter, uh, as a safe pair of hands uh, when something needed to be done. The characteristic point here, the characteristic thing that's pointed out here is his genuine concern for the Philippian church. It's love in action. He was concerned for their welfare. He was anxious for them if he thought there, were, there, there was something wrong. Uh, this concern is, uh, this, this genuine concern is an attitude of his mind that leads to action. It was the mind of Christ Jesus. The concern was genuine. He knew them well enough to be able to care for them. And the genuineness of his concern means that he would carry it through to action. He did not put his own welfare first. So, for example, when Paul sent him to Ephesus, there was this perfect storm brewing in Ephesus. Uh, powerful individuals in the congregation wanted to lead the congregation in one direction, the wrong direction. 
meeting up with a false teaching that was outwardly very attractive. Uh, Timothy was sent to put things straight, but to do that by preaching the gospel to them. His health was being affected. Uh, Paul told him to take the home remedy, drink a little bit of wine for the sake of your stomach and your many ailments. But he stayed there. He endured there, having a genuine concern for the welfare of God's people. So it was with the Philippian church. And in this he was reflecting the genuine concern of Christ for his own people. What Christ did, he did from love. Christ was not looking to his own interests, but to the interests of others. We read it in Philippians, uh, the earlier part of Philippians 2. This was a teaching that Paul was drawing from his description of Christ. That Christ has a genuine concern and a genuine love for people. And that could be seen in action in Timothy. And Paul was saying to the people, you've got to have this mind. You've got to think like Jesus does. Have a look at Timothy. He's, he's doing it, not perfectly, but he's doing it. Follow him. You can see it. You can see what, see what it's like. Let love be genuine. Paul had written to the Roman church. And here it is, the love of Christ, modelled by Timothy. And then Epaphroditus, his costly service. Uh, we don't really know any more about Epaphroditus than that which is written in this short paragraph here. Uh, his name was common in the ancient world. It was a Greek name rather than a Jewish name. Uh, his name was common then. It's not really very common now. Um, you, you probably know lots of people called Paul. Probably know lots of people called Timothy. Uh, hands up if you know anybody called Epaphroditus. No, I thought not. I don't either. Um, he was a member of the church at Philippi. Now, we don't know if he was an elder or a deacon, but he was certainly a trusted man, and he'd been entrusted with his gift of money for Paul in prison in Rome. Uh, it was needed because the prisoners were just left to themselves. And if nobody brought them any food, well, they starved to death. Um, but Epaphroditus was much more than a messenger. Paul says that he was a servant to my need. He took the gift to Rome, probably had to look for Paul when he got there, but he stayed. He didn't just hand the money over and go again. He stayed to serve, to help Paul in his time of need. And in fact, Paul says, he nearly died because of this. And we don't know any of the details about his sickness or his accident or whatever happened to him. But it was certainly something that was connected with staying in Rome to look after Paul. And his home church of Philippi had heard about this. 
And they were getting worried that maybe he actually had died. Their communications were not quite the same. It would have taken weeks uh, to get a letter backwards and forward, if not months. They were a bit worried about Epaphroditus. And that caused Epaphroditus to worry about them. He was longing for them all. Uh, he really wanted to get back home. And he really wanted to, to, to go back to his home church there in Philippi. Especially so when they thought that he might be dead. But he showed this characteristic of costly service to Paul. His Christianity cost him something. And in this he was following Christ himself. Who became a servant. Philippians 2 again. It was a very costly service of Christ. Not only did he humble himself to death, but even lower to death on a cross. And even coming to this earth, he gave up such a lot. Uh, he exchanged the sapphire-paved courts of heaven for the stable floor, uh, quoting from the hymn by Frank Horton. And the Lord gave up such a lot it was such costly service just to come to this earth to live among us and to teach us but his service was even more and more costly when he became obedient to death on the cross and it's that costly service that Epaphroditus was modelling when he served the apostle when he served him on behalf of the church. And Paul is saying that service of Christ, this is what it looks like in action. Look at Epaphroditus. He's not perfect, but follow him. Think like Christ did. And then Paul himself, his devotion, absolute devotion to God, Paul gives us here, uh, it's Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. He gives us a brief autobiography. And his life is divided sharply into two parts, or two eras. Uh, how our lives often are divided up into eras. Uh, Paul's had two eras, before Christ and after Christ. Before he knew Christ and after he knew Christ. Before, he tells us, he was a proud man. A religious man, yes, but proud of his religion and of his progress in religion. So much so that he persecuted the people of Christ so effectively that he was persecuting Christ himself. And then after Christ, the second part of his life, he was completely devoted to Christ. The lion had become a lamb. Uh, he, he recounts in another, another snatch of autobiography in 1 Timothy, uh, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Uh, the, those words carry, carry rather more in the language that, that was used then uh, than, than perhaps they do in modern day English. He appointed me to his service. 
old Pharisee could now think of nothing better than being a lowly slave of Christ. He'd met with the risen, glorified Christ on his way when he was going to Damascus to create havoc among the saints there. But before this, he'd witnessed the martyrdom of Stephen, guarding the clothes of those who stoned him to death. They must have made a very strong impression on Paul because he refers to it several times uh, throughout the Acts and in letters uh, over the years. Of course, it was all unknown to Stephen. Uh, Your witness to Christ can have consequences reaching through time that you, you can't imagine about, that you don't know anything about. Your words spoken, maybe even overheard, not spoken directly to somebody, but maybe even overheard can have far-reaching consequences. And Paul's testimony was, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. And in this, he is saying, this is the mind of Christ. Christ did what he did to become the saviour out of love for God the Father. He counted everything of loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing God his Father. And Paul desires Christ. He's devoted to him as Christ is to God his Father. And in this we are to take after Paul with a sincere desire and devotion to Christ. Uh, Not as a religious person, but as someone who has come to true faith and repentance in Christ. There's nothing of formal religion here. There's no room for pride. All is of God. This relationship with Christ will, yes, lead us to outward Things of religion, to prayer, to worshipping with God's people Sunday by Sunday, to studying the Bible. But it will lead us to a genuine concern for others, to a costly service, and to the imitation in devotion to Christ. So Paul has set out much about Christ to the Philippians, chapter 2. And he's encouraged the people there to have the mind of Christ. That is to think like Jesus did. And not just to stop there, but to do it as well. To work out what it means for them. And he gives three real life examples for them to follow and for us to follow too. They illustrate what he's been seeing. Timothy, love in action, genuine concern. Jesus had it for his people. Paul is saying, that's what we need. For each other, genuine concern. Epaphroditus, love in action in costly service. Jesus' service to his people, to his father, cost him more than anything we could ever imagine. We need that costly service. 
to each other and to God. Being a Christian should cost us something. And Paul himself, love in action in the heart of love for Christ and for God his Father. Paul gives this snatch of autobiography. He's not, he's not being proud. He's not saying, what, what a great person I am. He's saying, look at me. I used to be like that. But now, I follow Christ. Do likewise, he says. Follow Christ. These all show aspects of Christ himself and are to be followed. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord God, we thank you for the example of Christ. Yes, Lord, we thank you for his death on the cross that enables us to live as Christians, enables us to follow Christ. But we thank you for that example of his. And for the example, too, that we see lived out in others and was pointed out in these three in in Philippians. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us to follow that example. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.